small groups um, put together a group of believers that usually live in the same area, and uh, that group works through a, a book or um, a study, something together, and, and there's a lot more conversation, a lot more sharing of life, uh, prayer requests, things like that, uh, and it's been, at least for me, a really great um, time with other believers. It's been really good to get to know different believers that I wouldn't um, have spent time as much time with otherwise, uh, and it's been a real blessing in my life. So um, so at the end of every August, we generally do a, a sermon that is directed towards the small group ministry, um, but this is a sermon for all believers, right? This is a, a sermon from the Word of God, and we can learn and grow. One of the ways we hope you apply the sermon is to join a small group, um, but regardless of whether or not you are able to do that, this word applies to us and is something we can learn from and grow from. So I want to start off this morning with a question as you turn to Second Peter chapter 1. The question is, what do you need? As I ask that, what are the first things that come to your mind? What do you need? Do you think about a, a home, perhaps, a place to live? Do you think you need to be near family? to have the family that you currently have with you? Do you think you need a certain income or perhaps certain comforts? Or maybe it's just a need to feel safe. Perhaps you identify that as a need. Another way to think about it is, uh, of the things that are currently in your life, what could you live without? What could we take out of your life and you would still be content you would still have joy. You would still be able to continue on. Well, Peter starts in chapter 1 talking about what God has provided and what we as believers possess. So let's start in verse 3, and we'll read all the way through verse 11. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, Brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When I ask what you need, Peter gives us the answer in this passage, and we'll work through it this morning. He says, His divine power have, has granted to us, and this is to all believers, right? This is to not all people living on the earth, but those that are redeemed, who have repented of their sins, who have turned to the Lord and been saved. He has given to all of us all things that pertain to life 
and to godliness. The believer has everything needed for life and for godliness. Now that is life here and now. That is life also in eternity. Right? This provision of life will continue for the billions and billions of years in eternity that we will spend in heaven with the Lord. And he has also granted us everything that pertains to godliness. Right? Godliness is, is us being transformed into the image of God, to be made more and more like Christ, to be morally perfected. This has been given to us by the divine power of God, and it has come to us through the knowledge of Him. Right? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. There's a huge difference between knowing about Christ, and if you think about the, the Pharisees in the New Testament, they knew a lot about the Christ, they knew a lot about the Messiah, or at least they thought they did. But then Jesus spends a short amount of time with a woman at the well outside the city of Samaria, and she knows more about Jesus Christ than all of the Pharisees at that time. Right? Because she has experienced Christ. Right? She has come to know him in a way that they did not an intimate relational knowledge that changed her forever. And so she went back into the city and proclaimed Christ, and the Pharisees never did that, save for a few that God had mercy on. Right? And so this knowledge, this knowing of Christ, this knowing of God, cannot simply be a factual increase in our minds. Right? But it must be an intimate relationship, a communion, a fellowship with God that begins when we are saved and continues as we are transformed and sanctified in this life. And so through this, we have everything we need for life and for godliness. And you need nothing else. You need absolutely nothing else. And this is a glorious truth that should cause us to rejoice. Right? We have in Christ everything. Everything we could need. For the here and now and forever. But... But don't we need those everyday things that, that don't come through knowing Christ? Don't we need those, those things that the world also needs? So you think about a job, you think about an earthly home, uh, family, health, even something as basic as food. Don't we need those? In some sense, yes, if we want to stay alive. But we don't even need to stay alive to have everything we need for life and for godliness. Because our death does not end this promise. Right? right? This life continues into eternity, and so death is simply a doorway into a glorious eternal existence with God, and this promise is still true. We still, in eternity, after our death, will have everything we need because we will have Christ. And so not even death, not even a lack of food, something as basic and essential to this life can end this promise. If we do not eat for the rest of this day and the rest of our lives, and in a week we die, this promise will still remain true. We will have everything we have needed for life and for godliness. And so that means that there is nothing troublesome, there is nothing frightening or dangerous in this life that can overcome us when we know Christ intimately. We can lose anything. And, and, and that is not easy. That could be incredibly hard. That could cause great sorrow. That could cause e even some depression for a time. We can lose everything. 
and come back to this promise knowing that if we know Christ, we still have all that we need. And that is a glorious truth to rejoice in. And that is what Peter is doing here at the beginning. He he is causing us to remember and think about the things that we have so that we might rejoice with great joy. And so he continues. He says, He has called us, right? Through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. Or another way to translate that would be He has called us by His own glory and excellence. And when Peter says glory and excellence, he's essentially describing the character of God. There could be many other things he would add here. This is not an exclusive list, but he's essentially talking about the character of God. The foundation of our calling is the character of God. The goal of our calling is to become like God. So we are called to Him and we are called by Him. God's glory is His splendor, His majesty, the, the essence of who He is. His excellence or, or His goodness is, is His beauty, right? the beauty of His goodness. And this is what, if you are a believer, you have seen, you have beheld the beauty of our God, and that has changed you forever. And you have, day by day, seen His beauty more and more and been changed more into the image of Christ. And again, this is a, another point of rejoicing that Peter brings out for us. As we consider what God has provided and then what we possess based on what God has provided. We have been called to the glory and excellence of God Almighty. right? And that is a possession, and that is something we can rejoice in. And this glory, this excellence, essentially the character of God, who God is, it grounds the next thing. It is that by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. His precious and very great promises. Let me help us rejoice by listing out a few of them. And, and we could spend the rest of this, more, this afternoon listing out the promises of God and rejoicing in them. But Hebrews 8.12 says that He will remember our sins no more. That is a promise of God. John 6.37, Jesus says, I will never cast them out. Ever. Matthew 28, famously Jesus says that He will be with us always, even to the end of the age. 1 Corinthians 13 says that one day we shall see Him face to face. No longer through a a glass dimly, but but then face to face. In Romans 8, Paul says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If that is not a reason to rejoice, then, then you have missed the gospel. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And and here in this life, Hebrews 4.15 says that we have a high priest who can sympathize in our time of need. We are not just considering a glorious God who does not enter into the troubles of this life with us, but we have Christ who went through the difficulties of this life in a far greater way than we ever will and can sympathize with us. And all of these promises and and the, the myriads that I have not mentioned are grounded in His character. Right? His glory and His excellence is what is the foundation for Him granting us His precious and very great promises. And so His immutability, the fact that our God does not change, His wisdom, His holiness, His power, His love, is the foundation under all of these promises that He has given to us. And the reason for this, Peter continues, again, 
we're just overflowing with things to rejoice in here. The reason for this is that we might become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. You, a partaker of the divine nature. Me, a partaker of the divine nature. Do we remember what we were? And, and even now, what we are, we're, we're sinful creatures. Even in our redemption and sanctification brought about by God, n- none of us, right? Even in that, we, we still see our fallenness and frailness each and every day. We're described in James as a, a vapor, a mist that appears for a short time and vanishes, and we get to partake in the divine nature. Where we get to be a part of, and not only just a part of, but in the family of God to the point where Jesus calls us brothers and sisters in an incredible change of, of reality for us. We were enemies, right? Once your enemy, but now seated at your table. And this promised certainty is grounded in God's character and in what He has purposed to do. And so we ought to be bewildered and yet quickly remember that this is consistent with the character of God. He is so good. He is so loving. He is so kind. And so it is not strange for God to be a God who lavishes these things on His people. And not only that, because there is more, at the end of verse 4, Peter says that we have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Don't only look forward to what is coming, but remember what you have been pulled out of. The corruption that is in the world through lust or through sinful desire. We have left behind the worst possible situation. Corruption in the world because of sinful desire. We do not have to look far today to recognize this as true. Our world is wretched, it is corrupt. And sinful desire is everywhere corrupting and making wretched the world. It is so easy to, to turn on the news and see corruption in, in the government, corruption in the events that take place around us. It, it is all coming from sinful desire. You can see selfishness unleashed every moment on social media. You can see debased and perverted sexual desires all throughout our culture and our society. Jealousy, greed, anger, rage, violence, gossip, slander, deceit. This is a short list. right? Romans 1 gives a longer list and perfectly describes, as, as among other lists in the Bible, what is happening in our culture today. These things consume the world as the world runs headlong towards destruction. It's a broad road. And you, believer, are not on it. We're not on that road. But instead, we are running headlong towards the divine God who created us, right? Who has loved us in Christ. This is what God has provided. This is what we as believers possess. And there is incredible joy in these truths. And this is what Peter is trying to draw out as he opens his letter. A couple of reminders. We, we live in the already, but the not yet. So, we have everything that pertains to life and godliness. 
We have been granted promises. We have become partakers of the divine nature. And that is the, the already. Those things have already happened. And then there is the, the not yet portion where we are still in this flesh in the world. Right? We still live with difficulty and struggle in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And so there is the, the not yet aspect of these promises as well. But the already, right, the reality of the promises means that one day it will fully be realized. This, this will fully be consummated one day. Right? This is a foretaste of glory divine, even though we can and do still struggle in the here and now. Secondly, I want to remind us also to preach the gospel to a world that is ensnared by the devil. We do not have these things so that we can hold them to ourselves and keep them from others. Because we also were at one time ensnared by the world. We were also captured and on the broad road to destruction, and God has freed us from that. And so we ought to look with pity and compassion on those who are also in that state right now. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul there says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is a great reminder that we ought to be sharing the gospel, the hope of salvation with the world that is on the broad road. But as Peter is leading us to, let's rejoice in what we have been taught so far by the Holy Spirit working through Peter. The realities that we've been promised, that have been given to us, are given by an unchanging God who will complete what he has started. Everything we have talked about so far is true and will be true in the life of the believer for all of eternity. And nothing will change that. And so we want to pause, we want to soak in the joy of these truths and rejoice. As Paul says, I will say it again, rejoice. Because believer, the work has been done. And now, in verse 5, believer, there is work to do. The work has been done, and there is work to do. And and Peter makes that transition, but he, he will not let us think about work until we realize that it has all been done for us in Christ. Everything we need for life and godliness is ours in Christ. And if you have missed that, if you have not realized that, you cannot come to verse 5 and do what Peter has called you to do in the way that God wants us to. You must dwell on verses 3 to 4 before coming to verse 5. So believer, there is work to do. Verse 5, for this very reason, because of everything he has just said, because of everything we possess, because of everything that we have been promised, therefore, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. 
You see, if we're going to be motivated to these things, if, if we're going to be able to do them, then we need to remember what we have already talked about. Peter has given us the reason to strive. Right? He, he encourages you, as a believer, starting in verse 5, he encourages you to become what you are. Okay? What you have been granted in Christ, what you have become in Christ, live that out. Right? This is not working to create something in yourself that is not already there. Right? This is the living out of what you have become in Christ. And so we must make sure that the joy of, of what God has done, the joy of His gifts, is what is motivating us in our life of serving the Lord, of, of doing. And so if joy and happiness in Christ is not your motivation, go back to verses 3 and 4, marinate in those, dwell in those verses, and then come to verse 5. Because we, are, we do not come to commands like verse 5 and 6 in order to in, increase a feeling of guilt or, or bring about lots and lots of conviction so you feel really bad if you don't do them. Where we come to verses 5 and 6 and we are encouraged to live out the reality of our new life. Right? In Christ you are a new creation. And so be that new creation. Live that out. We are never commanded to do anything or to be something unless we are reminded of what God has already done in Christ. So that is what Peter has done here. Think about the man in Mark 5. This is the man possessed by multiple demons. Right? Also, they call themselves legion. And this man is, is, is ferocious. Right? He breaks chains that are put on him. He he cuts himself. He wanders around the tombs. Like, nobody goes to that area because of this person. He could not be subdued. He cried out day and night. And Jesus comes to him, and he heals him. Completely changes him. This man, for the first time, is completely new. He is a new creation. As the scripture says, he is clothed and in his right mind when the townspeople come out and, and see him, and the townspeople are terrified. Imagine the insanity of that man then going back to the tombs week after week and cutting himself and crying out and fighting anybody who comes his way. Imagine the insanity of that. Right, somebody who is, has been changed, who is in his right mind, going back and doing the same things that he was doing before. That would be utterly ridiculous. And so, as the Gospel of Mark says in verse 20, chapter 5, verse 20, it says, He, this man, went away and began to proclaim how much Jesus had done for him. And, and it makes so much sense. It is exactly what you would expect of somebody who was in that condition, who had been totally transformed. He, he was not going out out of, out of guilt. He was not going out and telling of Jesus because he, he felt compelled by somebody who gave him a command. He could not help it. There was joy and excitement because he, everything had changed for him. So that is what Peter is getting at here. And it's in interesting to remember that Peter saw that. And so as Peter commands us, he, he commands us knowing that we should come to this command with the motivation that has come from a life completely changed by our Savior. And so we are to live 
with a natural outflow of the change that has happened within. And this will be a battle. Does the Spirit of the, the Holy Spirit fights against our flesh? This will still be a battle. The old man is still present and needs to be mortified. But we are called to walk in this newness of life. And as we work through these, these qualities that Peter describes here, uh, you need to, to realize that we are not building one upon the next. It may seem like that as you read through. He says to, to add to your faith this, and then this, and then this, and then this. And there is some, some helpful logic to the, the list. I mean, everything does start with faith, right? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you don't have faith, you're not saved, and so you can't even work on the next quality. And, and certainly, everything does culminate in love. But we ought not to think that we need to master the first quality before we can move on to the next. Can, can you add virtue if you have not an understanding of godly virtue? If you don't have knowledge of godly virtue? Should we wait to grow in love before we are competent in the other seven qualities? And, and then what is the level of competence? Can I say tonight at our discipleship meeting to Pat that I do not have to have any brotherly affection to you because I'm still working on self-control. <laughs> we, we are to, I might still say that tonight. <laughs> we are to work on all of these simultaneously, right? This is a, a full picture growing together. This is not a moving from one to the next. And we want to make sure that we are also avoiding some errors here. We are not adding these virtues so that we are fit or more fit to stand before God. That is already done. It is accomplished in Christ. And secondly, you cannot say that since everything is done by Christ, I ought not to do anything. Right? That is sinful passivity. But this is also not works righteousness. Right? We have to maintain that balance. God has perfectly designed salvation so that we are motivated to work and yet perfectly at peace in what he has accomplished. And we need to hold both of those in this life. And so everything starts in verse 5 with faith. If you are a believer, you have come to believe the gospel. You have repented of your sins. You have acknowledged that you are a, a sinner deserving of the judgment of God. And you have been covered, forgiven, washed clean by the blood of Christ by faith, by the work of the Holy Spirit. If that does not describe you, then stop here. Do not proceed to the next quality or virtue. Go back to verse 3. Go back to verse 4. You must recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. You must repent of your sins because you have committed them against a holy God who will judge you. You need a substitute because your works will never outweigh your sins. And you will be judged for eternity in hell if you do not repent. But there is hope in Christ. Right? And we, we come to salvation, to being forgiven, to being accepted by God by faith in Christ as we submit to the Lord of heaven and earth. And so as when that happens, then Peter says to add virtue. And virtue is, is essentially goodness or, or moral excellence, right? Knowing what sin is and run from it, putting it to death. Knowing what good is and pursuing it. Running after that which is righteous. 
In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 11 to 12, Peter says this. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles right, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, right, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And that's speaking of this goodness, this virtue that he mentions in, chapter, in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says back in 1 Peter, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify your God on the day of visitation. Right? Visible goodness that the world notices in us. <clears throat> that is virtue. And then we are to add also knowledge. Certainly knowledge comes from, as we talked about previously, a relationship with the Lord. But I, I do think he has more of an emphasis here on intellectually knowing more about God, like studying the Word more, spending more time in the Word, in prayer, in fellowship with other believers so that you are gaining knowledge of the Lord. And then implementing that, right? This is not just head knowledge, but certainly we need the head knowledge. You need to know God's will, to know His ways, to know His character, what He commands, and then living that out. And that, that experiential knowledge will also increase as that happens. If you think about virtue and goodness, well, those must be things that are enlightened. Imagine love without any knowledge. And you have the world. Love without knowledge of the truth is what the world does every day. And they fail miserably at love. Later on in this book, in chapter 3, Peter says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, this is right at the end, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17, Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the next thing he mentions is self-control. This is one of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 23. And this is restraining yourself. Right? We still have that old man that wants to go to sinful desires, that wants to be lazy, that wants to not do the right thing. And so self-control is a very important part of the Christian life. We have to grow in this quality, to constrain ourselves to godly activity. In Colossians 3, verse 5, Paul says, put to death what is earthly in you. Or that takes self-control. He then says in verse 12, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And we do this because it is who we are in Christ, but we also need to be self-controlled and to work at doing this. The next thing Peter mentions is steadfastness or patient endurance, right? Continued faithfulness. And I love hearing this from Peter. In Luke 22, <clears throat> verse 31 to 32, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, right? That's Peter. Behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, because Peter did stumble and he fell, 
But Jesus says, you're not going to stay down. You're not going to be lost because I have you. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And so Peter here mentions steadfastness as a man who knew the importance of steadfastness, who had experienced it and experienced the restoring grace of Christ. Believers are not perfect. We are rather those that fall and stumble and get up and keep going because of all that we have been promised and given by God in Christ through the work of the Spirit. And then we add godliness. Right? Living a life that is like God. Imitating Christ. And as Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Right? Not that Paul was perfect, but this, I think, is a great opportunity to, to emphasize the importance of gathering as believers, of being in each other's lives, for instance, in a small group. If you see a good godly quality in another believer, imitate it. And one of the ways to do that is to be in fellowship with other believers, consistently getting to know them. And that is one of the goals of the small groups that we set out from the beginning. And then almost to the end, brotherly affection, right? This, this love between believers that, that we are brought into a family. In 1 Peter 1.22, Peter says, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So there is a family-like devotion that should characterize us. And again, this is what one of the things that we are trying to do in the small groups, right? Create an opportunity, a, a place where that devotion can increase. And then we finish with love, right? The culmination, the climax, as it were, of Christian virtue. Colossians 3.14 says, To above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so if we do these things, as Peter encourages us to, and, and as we are commanded to, to do as believers, verse 8, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer, this is what you want. You, you don't want to be ineffective. You, you don't want to be unfruitful. I often have conversations with with people uh, specifically in, in our machine shop at work, and, and there's just the, kind of the, the general, typical machine shop guy, kind of a rough-and-tumble guy who's, who's got all the dirty jokes memorized and, and talks about um, you know, traditional worldly things all day. And I always want to be able to turn those conversations to the things of the Lord. And it, it, it sometimes happens by the grace of God. When it doesn't, or I feel I missed an opportunity, I feel it. And I know that I, I, I could have said something differently or brought something up or, or just been more blunt and just spoken the truth in a less um, scared way. And I feel in those moments some, some ineffectiveness, some unfruitfulness. And so I don't want to be ineffective or unfruitful. But if we lack these qualities, that is what we will be. And if you are a believer, you do not want to be ineffective or unfruitful. And I don't say that as a, as a guilt trip. I say that as a reality. Your heart wants to please the Lord if you are truly a believer. And so you grow in these qualities and you seek to be fruitful and effective. And again, these things are not inviting us to go around and measure the holiness of others. Right? We want to caution that as we come to a list like this, as we always 
tend to do with lists. Now let's figure out what level each believer needs to be at, and if they're not at a certain level, we determine they are not saved. That's not Peter's goal here at all. This is rather a description of somebody who is saved and truly loves the Lord, and it's a reminder to us to be pursuing these things if you are the Lord's. Right? Pursue these things because you are the Lord's. And if you don't, verse 9, what, what if you don't pursue these things? Sorry, yes, verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So nearsighted that he is blind. What a dangerous place to be. What a, what a terrifying place to be. To be in the place where you have willfully forgotten to see the salvation that has been accomplished on your behalf. Or you have willfully forgotten to see the glorious future that you have before you in heaven. You are so focused on the here and the now and on selfish desires that Peter says you are blind. You have forgotten your salvation. This is the Israelites in the Old Testament, you know, a week out of Egypt, wondering why they can't go back. Or they have forgotten their salvation and the glory of what God has done. And we never want to be in that place. And if you are close to that, what do you do? You go back to verses 3 and 4. And you remember what God has accomplished in Christ on our behalf. Because if we are living immoral lives, we are telling the world and others that we do not care about forgiveness. It means little to us. Treasuring our salvation means living in a way that pleases God. And I want to give an example here that is very countercultural, but I think is helpful. To say this in a different context, I would say this, men, God has created you as male and given you the blessing he made in his image specifically as a man. For this very reason, make every effort to be servant leaders, guiding and protecting those around you and being a godly example as you lead in the area of influence God has granted you. For in this way you will be effective and fruitful. But if you lack these qualities, you are so nearsighted that you are blind, having forgotten that God made you to be a man. Or again, ladies, God has created you as female and given you the blessing of being made in his image, specifically as a woman. For this very reason, make every effort to be gracious helpers, nurturing and caring for those around you, and being a godly example as you love and submit to the Lord in the area of influence God has granted you. For in this way you will be effective and fruitful. But if you lack these qualities, you are so nearsighted that you are blind, having forgotten that God has made you to be a woman. We can sometimes understand what is being said by seeing it in a different context. If you are a man, live 
as such and grow in those qualities. If you are a woman, live as such and grow in those qualities. One, one of the, the crazy things about our world is they think they can change this, and they think they're going to be happy and successful in their new chosen life. Right? But they are going completely against what God has sovereignly determined and is best for human beings. And so as we, as we watch the world fail at their attempt to change gender, it is because they are denying reality and living a lie. And what Peter says here is the exact same thing about Christians. A sinner who is saved by grace and does not live following his Lord is just as hypocritical and and crazy as somebody who thinks they can become a different gender. If you are a Christian, you ought to grow as a Christian. And if you instead pursue sin, you are denying reality and living a lie. Right? And so this is a good reminder to us to pursue these qualities. And then Peter finishes out with assurance and perseverance. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren or brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That is a great encouragement. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we are to diligently pursue this confirmation of our calling and our election. Calling is of God. Election is of God. And we are to pursue the confirmation of it. And what he is saying here is, is that you, as you live for Christ, is that as you grow in, in virtue and in knowledge and in self-control and all of these qualities, you are gaining assurance of your salvation. Or you are confirming what God has done. And that is a, a sweet balm to your soul. Right? That, is a, that is the way to eliminate doubt of your salvation. What we do not, as Christians, look back to a specific moment in time where we remember saying a prayer and say that because of that, I am confident in my salvation. No, we look at what God has done in us over the months and years since then. We see His work, right? And we see growth and change, and that is what provides us assurance. Because the reality is that unbelievers ultimately cannot authentically do this. If you, if you claim to be saved, but you don't grow over time in these qualities, then you need to examine yourself, as the Scripture says. But assurance is a good thing, and is what God gives to His people as they grow in faithfulness. We want to avoid the danger of over-self-examination. You don't want to be so, so microscopically examining your life that you have forgotten that Christ has, has saved you and redeemed you from your sins. But we also don't want to fall into the danger of just completely lacking self-examination. Right? We want to look at these qualities and say, am I growing in these? Lord, help me to see. Help me to look back at my life and see your work. And if we are doing this, we will never fall. Stumble, yes. Sin, yes. Fall, no. And Peter, again, is a great example. He stumbled and he sinned and Christ came back and got him and picked him up. And Peter led the church at Pentecost and for years after. 
We, we also don't want to burden ourselves as we think about this and we think about not falling. Not, not overly burden yourself with the responsibility to persevere unto the end. Yes, you need to grow in these qualities and work and put in the effort, but remember, salvation means that we are content and at peace in Christ. We are not worried that we won't make it. And we know that because God has said, as Paul, through Paul in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He is ultimately the one who will get you there. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, it says, He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. And so this is the life of the Christian, the redeemed and transformed Christian. And the end point of it all is grace. What has been richly provided for you, right there in verse 11. An entrance, richly provided for you, an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Earned because you have done such a good job these qualities, but that which is richly provided by grace. This is why we won't feel like strangers in heaven. Because as we grow in these qualities here on this earth, we will know something of what heaven is. And we will feel at home when we arrive. It says in 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So as we close and apply this, I want to first remind us to remember the gospel and to rejoice in the gospel. Verses 3 and 4 are the foundation for everything that has been taught this morning through the Apostle Peter. And then secondly, live as who you are. Make every effort, put in work, not because you're earning something, but because you have been loved and adopted into the family of God. So since you are loved and adopted into the family of God, as a believer, live as who you are. Grow in these qualities. And lastly, join a small group. <laughs> and this is the point of application that you can ignore because it's not actually in the text. <laughs> but we just want to remind you and encourage you towards this simply because this is the point of small groups. To gather with other believers and urge each other on towards growth in these qualities. It is not the only way that happens. But here in our local body of believers, that is one of the ways that we encourage and help these things to happen as believers gather and talk to each other and spend time together and show brotherly affection and love and grow in steadfastness and all these other qualities as our knowledge of our Savior increases. If, if you do want to join a small group, if you have not been part of one, there are two sign-up sheets out back. Um, if you are currently in a small group, we will just assume that you're going to continue to do that this coming fall, and your, your group leader will reach out to you. Um, just make sure that all the details are set up and ready to go. Um, but regardless of that ministry and that specific application, we have such rich truths here. Um, 
and such a glorious call as believers, right? Just a beautiful reality to rejoice in and then the reminder to live out that reality every day here on this earth. So let's rejoice in the Lord and let's close in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are grateful for who you are, for what you have done, oh Lord, to, to think about the realities that we have talked about this morning, that we have everything in Christ that we need that pertains to life and godliness. That is a mind-boggling reality and truth. To, to think that we have these great and, and precious promises. To think that we, as your people, are partakers of the divine nature. Lord, that is a reality that we, we could not even hope to attain. And it has all come by grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ, costing us nothing and costing him everything. Oh Lord, may we remember and rejoice in these facts and these beautiful truths. Father, and may that motivate and empower each believer here to live faithfully for you, to live radically for you, to go proclaim to the world the hope of the gospel that they also need. And Father, I, I lift up every unbeliever here who hears this and, and sees something interesting or attractive but does not know you, has not been forgiven of their sins, but is rather on the broad road to destruction. Father, send your Spirit to graciously open their eyes, to grant them these promises, to give them a part of the divine nature and to save their souls so they might be changed and one day be with you in eternity. Father, all to your glory because you are a God who saves and you are the God who, who deserves all of our worship. God, we thank you for this morning and in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please stand. <clears throat> We're ending with a beautiful hymn that I hope you guys like as much as I do. Thank mm-hmm. you.